Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 229, the May 1988 issue on sale January 19th of 1988. This one has a cover price bump up to a dollar, and it is titled Down Under. Is this where we get introduced to your character of Professor Adam? Sure. Why not? I'm not a fan of Professor Adam. I don't like you either. (laughs) On the cover of this, you've got Colossus getting ready to punch out like an alien robot guy. He's got like a green head and a purple jacket. Actually, all of these robot guys that have color have green heads. It's very weird. So there's there's two guys that have green heads and then a bunch of guys in the foreground that are shadowed. So we can only assume that they're also green. All of them are green. Yeah, it's like Alien Manhunter or whatever that DC character is. Martian Manhunter. Whatever. Uh, and Wolverine is there and Storm. And they're, uh, they're engaged in battle. Battle! Um, interestingly, this cover has a recolored version on the cover of the X-Men Inferno Prologue hardcover. And uh, the guy on the top is still green, but the guy on the bottom is no longer green. That's weird. Is he flesh-colored? He's flesh-colored. Huh. Weird. But the guy on the top is that the uh, the sun that is behind them has been uh, colored kind of a, a gradient green. It starts green and then fades to a yellow. And that guy's head, uh, the green guy at the top's head, is against the green. So it, it kind of looks like a reflection of the green sun. It's a, it's a, it's a nice recoloring. I actually have that hardcover, and I'm not looking at it, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Do you like that cover better than the original cover, uh, coloring-wise, anyways? It's hard to compare them to. It's almost like comparing apples to oranges. I mean, the, the artwork is the same. It's just the coloring is drastically different. Right. I appreciate this version, the four or five or eight color version, but but the multicolor version is also quite nice. This is uh, if you take off the the cover of the like the paper cover of the hardcover. This is the first hardcover that I've seen of Marvels where they they have the the same picture on the hardbound cover. Hmm. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's uh, it's an okay cover. Nothing uh, nothing super memorable, anyways. Other than I guess this is the. Uh, uh, the beginning of the next chapter of the X-Men, but meh. You should see the alternate colored version. It's much more memorable. I'll look at it after this podcast on my bookshelf. Okay. But for now, it's way too far away. I like the guy who's in the foreground, who's like looking back at us and being like, what the? Or, hurry up, guys, we gotta swarm them. I think we'll learn that that's maybe Skull Hunter. Or Skull Basher. Somebody send me a cheeseburger. <laughs> so... Let's just open this thing up, and uh, and we start our story in Singapore at the Hone International Bank, which will be important for later discussions. Okay. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's some some people of Asian descent who are hanging around the lobby of Hone International Bank, and uh, it's supposed to be a peaceful place where nothing ever possibly bad can happen. When these dudes, these robot dudes show up and just start killing people, not even fooling, like people are dying on the panel. And Miss Hone, who is in the lobby, thinks to herself, Raiders, as much machines as men. Yes. Which is silly. She does. 
And she also thinks, more than meets the eye. <laughs> this one's written by Chris Claremont. It's penciled by Mark uh, Silvestri, inked by Dan Green, Glennis Oliver's The Colors, Tom Orzakowski's doing the letters, and Ascenti's the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. Um, not only is, like, like a security guy, like, killed, like, full-on panel. Now, it's a black and white, so it's kind of tasteful. You don't see, like, red b- blood everywhere. But like a, You see a, black blood. Black blood. It's, you know, it's kind of like uh, the Kill Bill scene where, you know, apparently it was going to get an NC-17, but they... They made it in black well, you, and white. You do see red blood in the in the top panel. That's true, but maybe because you can't see the dude's face, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that there are any rules. I mean, I no. think this is definitely a uh, this is this is a Chris Claremont saying things are different now. Yeah, not not only that, like uh, uh, Miss Hone, who is next to another woman. I, I I don't know that we get to know her name, but she's like Mei Ling, blessed Buddha, my baby, Mei Ling, and Mei Ling is like. Uh, an eight-year-old girl who is just dead on the panel. She is known as Mrs. Pai. Yeah. Or Mrs. Pei, depending on your pronunciation. And yes, her daughter is dead and it's probably like an eight-year-old dead little girl in a comic book. This is intense. So we get our first introduction to the Reavers. And uh, one of them... Uh, probably... Well, technically second. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with first until we learn otherwise. This is their first time that we're calling them the Reavers, but I'm assuming that the guys that we met hanging out with Lady Deathstrike a few issues ago were also Reavers. Spoilers, they are. (laughs) In the context of this issue, they are not. Therefore, this is our first encounter with the Reavers. It's just, it seems to me like somebody put two and two together and they're like, hey, you know those other two guys? They should be affiliated with these guys. Maybe. But anyways... Uh, it would, I mean, this does feel like a missed opportunity, but maybe it's also in keeping with the X-Men secret identity thing that they're not here. Cause then they'd totally be like, Hey, it's Wolverine. We hate that guy. That's true. I mean, it, it is quite possible that like Chris Claremont wanted to bring those guys back. Right. Or, or maybe, uh, Mark Silvestri was like, Hey, remember that issue with BWS? Right. Let's, those guys were neat. I want to draw them. I like drawing cyber things. So anyways, uh, it's Pretty Boy is one of the characters. And then my favorite, uh, whose name I don't know, but he's like the half man, half tank. And when I was a kid, I would take my Legos and I would build half men, half tank guys all the time. I think he's Bone Breaker. I think Bone Breaker or Bone Crusher or something like that. I don't really care for him uh, or his his mohawk or his sunglasses. It's just the idea of this guy that's half of a body sitting on a tank. I... I really like that. And I also feel like, didn't we watch a movie <laughs> about a half man, half tank when we were kids? <laughs> we watched a lot of terrible movies. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> I feel like we did. And I feel like in that movie, like uh, Tasha Yar, uh, whatever her name was, she was the woman in it. Oh, wow. And I think she took her shirt off and she was like topless for like a minute. And like and we all went, oh, my God, Tasha Yar. Well, hell yeah, we did. But then the robot guy like kind of turned around and was like, ooh. And then, then he, he like gave her her privacy. Or <laughs> it's possible I'm combining two different movies together. I don't know which. People out there, if if you know what I'm talking about, half man, half tank, Tasha Yar in a movie, please let me know because I would love to watch it again. Or I don't not. know if we've ever talked about this on the show, but we grew up and we used to go out and we would rent bad movies, like purposely bad movies. And then we would just kind of watch them you and know, laugh and laugh. It's a phenomenon, a phenomena of our generation, because 
kids these days, they don't have a video store. They got Netflix and all that sort of stuff. But it's it feels like such a different experience to go to a video store and like pick something up off the shelf and take this tangible thing to a desk, pay money for it, and then take it home and watch it. Because then you're almost pot committed, like, well, we paid two bucks. We're going to finish this. <laughs> And then, of course, also just the the idea of going to uh, the video store to pick up really awful movies just because we enjoyed really awful movies. Sometimes you didn't, though, because sometimes the really awful movies were just plain awful. I may have said this before, but we used to think that the larger the box, uh, the worse the movie was probably going to be. We'd call them the big box specials. <laughs> uh, I will agree with that. But I think there's one exception that I didn't discover until uh, many years later. Uh, and one of the big box specials was Bad Taste. Oh, wow. And uh, it was always at the video store, store like right at the beginning, right? Because it started with a B. You'd have maybe some movie that started with A, like an alien something. But then like the second or third movie would be Bad Taste. And Bad Taste was in a big box. And I always, I was like, no, that's like two on the nose. Like they're just trying <laughs> to make a stupid movie. And you were right. They were. Well, no. Have you ever seen it? It's, uh, that's it's It's Peter Jackson, right? It's Peter Jackson's first movie. And... I mean, he's doing the best he can with what he has. So it's but not I think like, he's also I think it's also a little bit tongue in cheek. I, I think you're right, but um it's it's uh it's really good. I, I mean for what it is. Uh there are other movies where where people have been like, We're gonna make a bad movie that's gonna be funny. And I think he was uh I I don't know how to put it. He was definitely trying to go for like an evil dead uh two um esque film and he succeeds in my opinion. Whereas it's a difficult thing to pull off, and I've seen other people attempt it um, and and fail. There's Some of those movies, I feel like if we went back and rewatched them, we might appreciate them more or less, <laughs> depending on what it was. Some of but... those movies I've picked up on DVD and still haven't rewatched. <laughs> so, so like, I just thought, what money what... well spent? <laughs> well, yeah, um, I'm going to insulate my house with DVDs one day because <laughs> I have so many. That's a great idea. So many, or just of, the box art. So many of them in the boxes and the art and everything. But uh, one of the movies that fails as a kind of tongue-in-cheek horror film is a movie called Evil Ed. Okay. Um, they try way too hard to be um, Sam Raimi-esque. In fact... Did you ever see uh, Cemetery Man? No, I think I've or, seen parts or, of it. Or its Italian name is like Della Morte, Della Morte. No, I think we've tried watching Cemetery Man, and I think I always fall asleep. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> I might have been really tired. Should I give it another try? Oh, absolutely. It it's 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 great okay uh, uh cemetery man yeah i'm on it the rupert everett i'm on it what was uh peter jackson's second movie well the, the one with the puppets there was well there's puppets in dead alive or dead alive is in there but that wasn't his second movie i think that was his third movie meet the, the one that was that was yeah meet the feebles meet the feebles was his second movie and there's i hate that movie <laughs> i've never seen it actually oh my god it's so disturbing there's puppets in bad taste as well it is it is upsetting. It is upsettingly awful. Did you ever see his movie with Kate Winslet? Uh, uh, Heavenly Creatures. Yes. Yeah. That's a good movie. That's a great movie. Yeah. So. Although I haven't seen it in, since I was like a teenager, so I might not I might not enjoy it as much. Is he doing anything lately? Um he's enjoying his hobbit money. What's what? He made what? Did he make movies? Like did he make more movies? Well he made he made the, the I think the last three movies he made were the th the three hobbits. I don't I, I'm not aware of that. Uh, well, you're probably just blocking them out, but they exist. <laughs> um, um, 
And I think he's working on something right now that's one of those big epic James Cameron type things that no one will really care about when it comes out. Oh, Avatar? Yeah, like like an Avatar. Okay. He's doing his Avatar. I can't wait for that. And everybody will go see it and be like, that was great. And then on rec- uh, Recollection, they'll be like, yeah. I will never watch any of the Lord of the Rings movies ever again. Which ones did you watch? I watched the three, the, the original three, the Fellowship. Three Kings and Two Towers, and they were boring as sin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, fans. I'm really sorry. There, They're there very is, boring. If you can find it online, there is a three-hour cut of The Hobbit that is actually uh, very watchable. So, right. So I uh, I didn't watch The Hobbit, not just not because like I'm protesting, but it was like, God, I don't have three hours every two hours to, to give to these boring movies. Um, so... It doesn't surprise me that there's a three-hour cut that follows the book more closely, and maybe I should seek that out and just watch that. It, it's a good film, like just just those three hours. Uh, <laughs> it, it cuts it cuts out the other what six hours, and and you absolutely don't need it. It it moves quickly. It's well edited. There's probably more than one actually. I'm now sure that I think a, about I'm it. Sure there's a bunch. The um, one that I saw was was really good. And I watched it with a bunch of people that read The Hobbit, a bunch of Hobbit nerds, and they were like, mm, that was really good. I'm surprised. I mean, we know that Peter Jackson made – well, we know – first of all, we know he's a Hobbit fan uh, or a Tolkien fan. Yep. Yeah. But I'm surprised that that he didn't come up with that idea because they made the trilogy because you make a trilogy because you're going to make billions of dollars off of – the box office as well as the overseas as well as all the dvds and blu-rays and streaming but i'm surprised you didn't make like an ultimate director's cut which is the, just the opposite of what you would expect instead of like a 10-hour event it's a you know a nice tidy three-hour event i don't know i, I guess uh maybe he had a contract that said he wasn't allowed well, that could be. maybe he is the secret editor behind one of those oh that would be amazing yeah let me see he's like i'm, I'm peter jackson i'd do what i want <laughs> <laughs> But only secretly. <laughs> yeah, nobody must know. <laughs> okay, so anyways, uh, back at the Hone uh, Money Place Bank, it's a heist. Homebreaker, Skullbuster. Skullbuster, but he's not the tank guy, is he? No. No, Skullbuster is the the red devil head guy. Yeah. Sorry, Skullhead. Yeah. Um. So he's got, like, the bank president, like, he's choking him all Darth Vader style, and he's like, I need the... The code to the safe, or I'm gonna kill you. And Mrs. Ms. Hone, she's like, "You're choking him, duh. He can't talk. He can't. He can't talk." And she says, "Well, tell you what. Um, if you want to save him, you tell me the combination." And she says, "There isn't one. When you dorks attacked the security, uh, the security computers automatically locked the doors to the vault for 24 hours. So you're out of luck." So Bone Breaker breaks this guy's neck. Well, this is Skullbuster. Whatever. Skullbuster. <laughs> <laughs> Get it straight, man. Yeah, this is important. I suppose it is. He, he will come back. Uh, he breaks the bank president's neck and says, I got no need for him. And so that's when Tank Man, does he have a name yet? No, but I'm pretty sure he's Bone Crusher. Okay. He, I could be wrong about that. I guess one of his... Uh, things is that his tank has weapon pieces so he's kind of like scalp hunter and he built oh, yeah. a gun you would think that his name would be like tank guy or something <laughs> and he like shoots an acid bazooka at the vault and melts the door down uh one of these reavers whose like legs are robot and body and head are real he has a swastika on the back of his head 
Oh, yeah. Wow. I didn't see that through the first read. Yeah, me neither. Seems very unpolitically correct. That is, uh, well, I mean, they're painting, the, these guys just slaughtered a bunch of people and killed a child. So they are uh, they are the embodiment of evil. Yeah, they're, they're not good. Uh, they're not good guys. So they load up all of the money and they bolt uh, and they decide to also uh, take Jessan Hone with them or Hoan. So, uh, yeah, they say... Uh, Pretty Boy says she's a recruit, a financial whiz par excellence, which will come in later. Yep. And uh, presumably, let's call him Bone Crusher, says the way she's struggling, Tiger might be a better name. And this will be important, not in this issue, but later. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so long, Tay. So long to your family, Tiger Gal. And they take off. Uh, they um, run into like an electrical portal thing and we get some establishing scenes of first the earth and then australia on the way out they kill pretty much all of her family so like any, anybody that's left in the vault which presumably are uh, people that are related to her because they own the bank um, they're shooting on the way out yeah they're all so, dead oh so this is like super traumatic for this poor girl so they make it to the australia and uh there's a man sitting on top of a hill next to a fire. Um, I call him plot device, but they call him gateway. <laughs> uh, and his ability is to teleport people to and from locations, and he psychically knows when they want to leave and when they want to come back. So uh, there's a thin plot here that the Reavers are kind of holding gateway hostage uh, and that if Gateway doesn't ever do what they tell them to do, the Reavers will kill all of his people and ravage his land. And uh, Gateway, presumably, we they don't ever say that he's a mutant, but he has the power to um, spin what they call a bull roarer, mm -hmm. which is just a, a thing on a string that he swings around in a circle. And it seems like as long as this gigantic fire that he's sitting in front of is going – he is able to open portals between two different places, which is how the the Reavers just got from Singapore, which I don't think we mentioned that the establishing uh, bank stuff was in Singapore. Maybe we did. I don't remember uh, how they got from Singapore to Australia. Yeah. Uh, and they say that any funny stuff and the Reavers will trash your holy place beyond all hope of reconstruction or re reconsurrection, consecration. And then your people will never know peace. They'll wander the dreamland slave to outside spirits to the end of time and beyond. And to this, it looks like Gateway turns into Beast Man. <laughs> and he has a very upset look on his face. Another big thing to mention about Gateway, he does not speak. But yes, he is. He looks like he's very angry at the Reavers. He does not uh, like working for them. That is made clear by this panel. And so as hard as the Reavers fight, they party equally as hard. So they go to a bar that's kind of in their um, ghost town that they've co-opted. They're drinking and fighting and just causing trouble, which is weird because it's not like they're at in town, like wrecking somebody else's bar. Like this is their bar that they're wrecking. All of this stuff has got to be really close to each other, too, because like so like Gateway is up a hill. This hotel slash bar is at the bottom of the hill. Um, the basement, well, it says not far away underground where Pretty Boy and Mrs. Hoan is uh, also has to be very close nearby. Um, so they're in a they're in a very small area. 
Jess Ann Hone, she wakes up. She's like, what? Where am I? And Pretty Boy's like, since we looted your treasure vault, little tiger, it seems only polite for us to show you ours. And they have like a Scrooge McDuck pile of treasure. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's like, why did you bring me here? And he's like, well, we've got all this money, but we can't spend it. Uh, bottom line, they need her to launder it for them somehow. And we need a financial wizard to break it bad for us, if you will. <laughs> yes. We're going to cook meth, and you're going to sell it all through a car wash. I think that's how that <laughs> show went, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. He has an additional power. Well, actually, we haven't seen what his power is. The power that he has is he shoots. Uh, at first, it's not really clear, but it's mentioned later. But he shoots like green from his eyes into the mind of people to rewrite their psychic programming. He also has fantastic forearms. Yes, that's right. He's got stretchy forearms. We'll find out later that the green that's coming out of his eyes are actually like fiber optics that enter the people's faces. It's kind of weird. Kind of cyber techy. He says... Uh, other aspects of your character are distinct liabilities, inconvenient elements such as a sense of morality, scruples, decency. So I'm going to erase them. So whatever he is doing, uh, reaching into his her brain with his uh, fiber optic eye thing, whatever <laughs> bionics, let's say, <laughs> sure, uh, is wiping out parts of her brain that she uh, he doesn't like. And as we zoom in uh, closer and closer to her lips, she starts to crack a smile. As uh, he says, she is. It's like being reborn, a whole new you. Isn't that nice? And man, they're really screwing with this poor girl. The timing here, I think, is a little interesting because that's happening in the basement, and then we go back to the bar, and like a whole bunch of people are passed out, and even the narration box says, "Eventually, nature takes its tolls, even on men who mostly machine." Well, I have an explanation for that. All right. And that's that's the the process that Pretty Boy is doing is a very delicate process, and it takes a lot of time. It takes hours. It's not a great uh, explanation, but it has to it has to exist given with what we're given. It's a weird pacing thing because the illustration makes it seem like oh I don't want this uh, oh now I'm succumbing and oh, okay I'm pretty much yours and then and then we flash to the to the passed out people and then like two pages go by and we'll talk about it and then finally we cut back to pretty boy and her it just seems like hours has gone by since he started his process and maybe you're right maybe it's super delicate he has to go one fiber optic at a time it's got to be because otherwise this makes no sense yeah, right um so bone breaker is summoned. a bone breaker i said bone crusher so bone breaker Darn. is the tank guy yeah yeah okay yeah. so he's called outside and he's got his uh binoculars on he doesn't have bionic eyes he's using real binoculars and uh there's a big sandstorm uh on the horizon which is weird because the weather totally didn't call for a sandstorm. I wonder how they get their weather report. <laughs> Radio. Uh, Gateway <laughs> teleports in a TV every night. <laughs> <laughs> so Bonebreaker rushes into the bar. He's like, all right, girls, get up. We got trouble. We got to batten down the hatches. Close the storm gutters, shutters. And You uh, don't get your button gear, clown, and secure the storm shutters. You'll be dead. So they all... You in hell. They, they uh, yeah, they're... they're they get up, they're starting to do their stuff, and we find out that it's actually Storm casting a windstorm. 
and Psylocke is psychically guiding her and, and telling her what's going on, where all the targets are, and that there's a there's a hostage. And so Storm directs Psylocke to Psylink with Havoc, and she orders him to clear a path to the hostage. And and they well they basically use some teamwork here to to bust into the Reavers' hideout. At which point we see. Pretty Boy is still doing his fiber optic thing, and Longshot is not happy about this. That monster man is stealing her days, <laughs> replacing her lifelight with his own. Dazzler thinks he's so angry, though the same thing has happened to him. And she slips, and she's pretty much done for the rest of the story. Yeah, she has a comic moment where she slides down the gold and uh, lands on her. It's, it's, she kind of lands in a pile of gold. Like like she hits the the the, gla- the glass of the frame. Yes, yes, it's it's long, kind of funny, I suppose. Uh, long shot. He throws a couple of his sh- 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 flechettes. Yes, flechettes. Flechettes, as we established a couple of, uh, of episodes ago, his flechettes and severs the fiber optics between Pretty Boy and uh, Jessanne Hone. Uh, I believe I was doing uh, long shot as elf, so. Ha! <laughs> That's your Leave elf. Leave her alone, monster man. <laughs> no, it's pretty terrible, but I'm going with it. As long as you start everything with ha, you should be okay. Yes. Ha! What What was the guy's name? Uh, what guy? The the guy, the, uh, the elf's master. Not his master. The, the, <laughs> oh, the dude. Uh, Willie? Willie. Willie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Willie. Willie! Yeah, there you go. That's it. Ha! Willie! Leave her alone, monster man. Well, I just lose it. Whatever, you know. <laughs> Did you ever see the Elf movie? There was an Elf movie? No. After the sitcom ended, there was an Elf movie, and I feel like the government captures Elf and takes him to Area 51. And I've not... Was this like a TV special? Oh, yeah, it was a TV movie. Uh, but okay. I, I feel like... I mean, I, I may not have this right, because I didn't. I only remember him kind of like skulking around Area 51 a little bit. But I feel like I've read that uh, like the government kills Willie. Oh, jeez. Which seems a little out of character for, for an elf movie. But, uh, you know, like I said, I never watched it. So it's possible. So this was like a this was like a really dark sort of thing. Uh, I guess so. Like I said, if you look up uh, if you look up what happened to Willie, um, the actor, he became like a huge drug addict. I heard that. So they also I heard that they were going to bring Alf back as a oh TV, boy. as a, either a TV show or a Netflix series or something and it would it would pick up like kind of right where it left off like 30 years later essentially where um I believe Alf is like still in area 51 and he escapes but but definitely Willie would not be involved is he dead or is he just like in prison I think he's still alive okay but, but I could be wrong about that probably not going to reprise his role as Willie which is weird cuz yeah. he in the show he's just like this soft spoken balding man right was he also connected to some sort of sex ring oh i don't know maybe or am i just mixing things up i know he was i know he was a drug addict no i feel like there was a different actor that was mixed up in a sex ring okay yeah i I don't know Uh, i don't know anyways uh long shot saves uh miss hone kicks pretty boy in the face pretty boy uh gets mad at Dazzler grabs her uh by the neck with his extendable arms and smacks her against the gold and um, he says, feel how sharp my bionic fingers are, pretty girl. I could have torn all your, uh, out your throat right off. I could have torn out your throat right off. Oh, okay. But I've got a better idea. And uh, Dazzler realizes that his he said his arms are, or his fingers, or at least, are bionic. So she shoots a laser bolt through his arm, cutting his arm clean off. 
and sees that it is, in fact, bionic. Right, because what we didn't mention is of all of the Reavers, he's the only one that looks 100% human other than his stretchy arms. I mean, and those stretchy arms look human too. He just looks like looks like Mister Fantastic, basically. Yeah, and his weird, uh, his weird, photonic eyes. Do you think that's why they call him Pretty Boy? Why? Because he doesn't have android parts or uh, physical bionic parts. I think so he's just like a... Pretty Boy because he's got Pretty Boy hair and Pretty Boy face. We just saw his arm get torn off. He's clearly clearly bionic. But he, well, like he is bionic, but he's not outwardly bionic. So I could, it's, it's kind of like. You know, they call him Pretty Boy because you can't see his bionic deformities the way you can see everybody else's. Maybe. Uh, I'm building I'm building some backstory into these sure, guys. Sure, sure. Maybe all the Reavers give him crap because he's like, look, I got a tank for a body and you're just got stretchy arms, you pretty boy, without your bionics. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Sure. I'll buy that for a dollar. Ha! <laughs> Willie! Uh, anyways, even with his arm severed, he shoots out his fiber optic filaments to burrow into her brain. This is where we actually learn what, what he can do. And, uh, he says, you'll be a reaver body and soul. Body and soul is used twice in this issue. This is the second time. <laughs> Long shots, wondering if she's okay. He can't see anything. And we cut away to probably my favorite page of the entire comic book. Rogue and Colossus walk up to a bar this is not like the beginning of a joke but it, it should be and uh she's rogues like you think those toads will give up with the fight and Colossus is like they're terrible i hope not and they walk in and all of the reavers go flying out of the bar and then we cut to rogue and colossus just stand there being like you had enough and of course the reavers haven't so they all start fighting and rogue and uh, colossus are clearly being the victor at least on this page is this a new outfit for Colossus? He's just wearing tidy whiteies. They're, or, I guess, Superman shorts. They're brown Superman shorts, and he's got little booties. <laughs> frankly, he's essentially naked. Yes, frankly, I don't even think he needs the booties. Yeah, what, what are the booties for? To keep his feet clean? <laughs> I don't like stepping on rocks. I mean, I do <laughs> like stepping on rocks. I'm not good at walking. Uh, so Bone Crusher here, he's like, my bullets are bouncing off of them. Rogue's got to be like, well, he's metal and I'm invulnerable. And that's when Bone Crusher grabs Rogue and flesh touches flesh and he passes out. And she's like, oh, my God, these people are awful. And she's out for the count because she can't handle like how awful these people are. Yeah, they're they're the foulest. Yeah. Where is that scunge barge? Bone Breaker, I want your heart. Bone Breaker, I want your heart. When she finally comes around, she's like, she's just got no morality in her whatsoever. She's just like, oh, all I got is bone breaker in me. I got to kill him. She called him a scunge barge. And uh, skull breaker, skull face. What's his name? Skull, uh, skull face. Skull I don't think it's skull face. I can't remember what it skull, is. Skull crusher? Skull, skull, skull crusher. Skull basher. Skull basher? Skull, skull dancer. <laughs> Reaver leader grabs... Uh, the top half of Skull Breaker, no, Bone Bone Breaker. Bone, Skull bone, Island. Bone Crusher. Oh, man, I'm never going to get these names right. <laughs> Basically, runs off. He's like, we're beat. We got to go. We got to start all over again. And there's one character of the X-Men that we haven't seen yet, Adam. Uh, Wolverine. I was actually wondering at this point, where is Wolverine? Is he like, is he really in Madripoor or something? No, he was hanging out up on the roof. Yeah. 
and uh, some Reavers see him, and Wolverine, he doesn't even be like, he's not even like, you guys want to surrender? He just jumps down and just starts hacking apart Reavers. This is nasty business, and he's he's kind of picking up stragglers. He, I think he was waiting behind to just finish off anybody attempting to retreat. And so Pretty Boy, Skull Crusher, and Bone Breaker, they head up to Gateway, and they're like, Gateway, you got to get us out of here. If you can teleport us out here, all accounts are squared. We'll leave you alone. We re-release you from the life debt. And they. And tell- this is where this is where like I brought up why everything was really close to each other because Pretty Boy, who was in the basement presumably with where Dazzler and uh, Longshot broke up to. We cut to a panel of him, and he's like, I trust uh, my gracious Skullbuster. I trust you're not planning on leaving without me. And in the next panel, he's all the way up the hill, right behind Skullbuster, who was in the hotel. So everything's like got to be really close to each other. I, I don't know that we – maybe we get like a perspective shot, like a top-down shot. But I, I feel like you're right. Everything's really close to each other. It's very small – area so like there's the bar and then like right across the street is a big hill and gateway sits there yeah so in fact i think the x-men will be sitting in the bar like just chilling out after an adventure being like look gateway's up there we should invite him down and they'll be like no he doesn't like us (laughs) i mean that's kind of spoilers but anyways uh they teleport out wolverine's like oh look at that guy he teleported him out i'm gonna make sure that they can't come back so i'm gonna kill gateway yeah that old aborigine must be some kind of teleporter but I can I can at least make sure this gateway doesn't open again. And Storm says, "No, Sheath of Claws." For all his actions, I sense this man is no more villain or reaver than we. To which Wolverine should say, "You're not the mind reader, Mystique or uh, uh, Betsy is. Go bring her. I don't care what your senses say." But they don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the other hand, look at him. He's he's just like it's just an Aborigine guy. It's, I know, it's but clearly, it's clearly not. Vicious. If they were going to have any character just be like, Wolverine, this man's not a villain. Well, it, would, it should have been Wolverine. <laughs> but I, I, well, I think, I think, uh, and I, I, I feel like in this issue at least, uh, they're kind of, Chris Claremont is attempting to paint a slightly darker Wolverine. Okay, fair enough. Which is why in the previous stuff he didn't say anything. He just killed a bunch of people. And then on the next page, um, as they are – Deciding what to do with all of the Reavers that they have collected that are still alive. Uh, Wolverine is on the side of let's kill them uh, more so than I feel he would normally be. Yeah. On the other hand, and this is this is the this is this is kind of a problem. Uh, the Reavers are supposed to be super awful, and and I keep forgetting that, and that's I think. I, I think that's kind of a bad thing of the storytelling is that I keep forgetting how terrible the Reavers are. And this is why they, the X-Men are debating killing them is because they are horrendous, horrible. So there's scum. there's only they're, they're scum, scunge barges. <laughs> they're scunge barges, Jeremy. There, there's two reasons that the story exists. Uh, th- three reasons. And the three reasons are this. Number one, they need a new base that, that makes sense for them to be where they can still do X-Men-y things, but not be in New York or San Francisco where they're easily recognized. That's the first thing that needs to happen. The second thing is we have to figure out how can they exist when there's sentinel technology that can hunt mutants or other technologies that can detect mutants, right? So we have to solve that problem. And then third is a problem that we never even knew we had was uh, the introduction of the Siege Perilous, which we'll talk about in a minute. So this all the story does in 26 pages or however long it is, is set up all of those elements. So 
So you're right. right. Like, well, to, well, it, well, yeah, but I mean, you can't you can't just say that's or at least I don't I don't think this is this is the sole purpose of this story. I mean, I, I, I totally think, think that's the sole purpose of this story. I think what we're getting here is this is X Men phase C or B or whatever. Sure. Like, and this this is the this is kind of the origin of where we're going from now on. This is the, this is a shift. Everything from before doesn't count anymore. Well, I mean it does, but uh this is the these are new X-Men stories and this is the this is the beginning of that. This, this is the first story setting up what's coming. This this isn't your father's X-Men? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I It's I, certainly more violent. I guess my only point is um I feel like in a uh, more well-paced story we would have seen more things from the Reavers and by the time we got to the story we'd be like, "Oh, they're terrible. They're awful." But in this, we see, yes, they pull off a heist. Yes, they kill people. So the story has established these are very bad people. Uh, and then the X-Men just... This, but... Wait, hang on. But then the X-Men just show up and just, just take them out, which is very un-X-Men-like, but sets up the things that we just kind of talked about. I'm, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you, I, but I, I feel like this, uh, this sh- maybe could have been a double-sized issue. I, I think you're right. I think we should have seen more badness from the Reavers and maybe even just like a little bit more kind of investigation by the X-Men or I mean so Roma shows up and she's like yep you see the Reavers are bad aren't they and we we could have had this all at the beginning like X-Men what do you want your fate to be where do you want to go like here's a place where there's some really awful people and look what they've done and the X-Men could be like yeah I don't know I agree. I think this could have been a double-sided issue, double-sized issue, or even just a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, a two-parter would have, would have worked just as well. I mean, it's basically like you said, it is a setup issue, but it is it is also uh, the 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 parts of it that are the setup issue are definitely coming in the next few pages, where basically Roma lays out this is how it's going to be from now on, and that is kind of weak. But at the same time, it's important to establish this is this is how it's going to be it could have been done better it's i agree it's an interesting choice to kind of like show us all of this stuff and we don't really know why it's happening we don't know why we care about the reavers we don't know why the x-men are in australia we don't know why the x-men are fighting the reavers because yeah the reavers did some bad things but it's not like they're you know, holding the world hostage or attacking the X-Men's family. Um, but then Roma shows up and she, she kind of puts all the pieces together. And it yeah. could have just been kind of, I don't know, more uh, spread out through two issues or a double-sized issue. Uh, but The way that it's written, she's kind of telling us the rules of how the X-Men is going to be from now on. Yes. And not not – it's kind of spoon-feeding us at the end of the issue where, where it could have kind of been just uh, – uh, just dashed out throughout the issue. Like, here's a Siege Perilous, and here's what it does. And, oh, by the way, the reason that that scanner you just walked by didn't detect you is because I've given you this gift. I don't it's know. more fun to learn things than to be told them. Yes. But we just get told all this stuff. So the X-Men are like, well, what do we do with these people? Do we kill them? Uh, no jury could convict them. No jail could hold them. And Rome was like, well, you can throw them in the Siege Perilous. People are thrown in here. The galactic, the galaxy judges them and they are reborn with a second chance. So, so part of the problem is that the X-Men are worried that all of these uh, Reavers that they captured, if they let them go, they're going to tell the world the X-Men are back. Even though the, so, it's possible that these Reavers are like, I don't know, these freaky people with powers just attacked us. I don't know who they are. Um, so that's so Roma, Roma introduces the Siege Perilous, which essentially 
turns them into babies, let's say. Yeah. It is the turns them into babies device. It doesn't literally turn them into babies, right. but it is it is the it is the magneto magneto becomes a baby device. Right. The reboot, uh, the retcon. Yeah. However, should you prefer Wolverine's uh, course, their death will be true. Their spirits irreparably shattered and cast into the ultimate void. So Roma has given them the powers, like like judgment powers. Like you decide who gets thrown in the siege perilous to be reborn, or who dies and is ultimately like cast into the void. Feels like a test, guys. Yeah. Uh, so. Havoc says, I confess, Roma, what you're saying makes no sense to me. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> uh, just uh, what are, but what are we after here, people? What's our true purpose? Justice or vengeance? And Wolverine says, sometimes, boy, vengeance is justice. So we got Psylocke and Wolverine and Rogue who feel that they should kill the Reavers. And we got Storm and Havoc and Colossus who feel that they should not kill them. Uh, find some other way that is more heroic, let's say. Um, Dazzler does not have an opinion, apparently. And Storm, who does not make a decision, by the way, who's like, hmm, Reavers, what do you want to do? That's like, that's, well, she gives she gives him an option. Eh, you can the, either be killed by Wolverine or you can take your chances with the Siege Perilous. That's like the ultimate not leadership tact <laughs> of being like, we all, well, everybody, we've got two choices. What do you want to do? Oh, okay. Democracy rules. Anyways, the, the Reavers are like, well, I don't want to die. Uh, Bonebreaker dumped us, so we'd like to live no matter how we can. So they they walk into the Siege Perilous, and uh, presumably they're reborn as, I don't know, chipmunks or something. <laughs> Storm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Storm wonders if Roma is the goddess that she speaks of, and Roma's flattered. She's like, no, in many ways. Well, the, the, the goddess from her youth, the, the, the goddess says she's always like bright goddess. Right. And she's like, uh, I'm honored that you think that, but in many ways you're older than me and we're both equally new in our positions. Uh, but no, I'm I'm not your goddess. Nor am I your guardian angel. I'm just scaling, uh, balancing the scales between us because you helped me get rid of the adversary and I'm the guardian of the omniverse and uh, blah, 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 blah. She's, I've spent way too much time with you. So once we're done here, uh, it's quits. Like I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much done. So the Reavers walk into there, and uh, Hone, Miss Hone, Jason Hone, she's like, I don't want to go in there. That's not my fault. Why do I have to be punished? And uh, this is where Madeline, she becomes part of the team, and she's like, hey, it's not fair. <laughs> hey, guys, I just want you to know I'm still here. Yeah, I, I would fly the plane, but we don't have a plane anymore. So I, don't I really... wasn't in this whole issue. I was just kind of hanging out. Don't really have anything to do, which kind of sucks. But uh, so, yeah, the X-Men kind of make a plea to Roma, and Roma's like, yeah, I can totally do that. I'm a god. And so she zaps her back to the bank, which sounds horrible because everybody she knows and everybody who is there is just dead. So none of the trauma of this situation has been resolved for this poor woman. No, as far as we know, she's going to need some serious psychiatric help. Um, she says, uh, from your lips, your legend will begin to grow, which seems to be the opposite of what the X-Men would want. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why, like... They're talking about how they don't want anybody to talk about them, but now I guess they're going to be legends. Um, 
quick note in the uh, lower left-hand corner of the two Reavers going into the Siege Perilous, they are named Stanley and Ollie, oh. who, of course, are Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, yeah. As played in the upcoming movie by James, what's his name, and other guy, what's his name? What? Uh, what's his C. Riley? Who's the C. Riley guy? Uh, 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 yeah, him. Uh, oh. <laughs> and then the British comedian guy. He's in it too. They play Laurel and Hardy. The, when you say the British comedian guy, you don't mean the guy who's the same in every movie and in real life, do you? Uh, the guy with the long uh, hair, the guy that played Arthur, the guy that was in Forgetting the, Sarah Marshall. No, 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 not not. Um, no, not that guy. He was that guy was that guy's in Marvel Marvel movies, right? He's like in Black Panther and no, no, no. The oh god, he was married to or he was dating Kate. Oh my god, I can't remember anybody's name. <laughs> Katy Perry. He was he was dating Katy Perry for a little while. Oh no, 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 not not Russell Brand. Yeah, no, Russell no. Brand. Okay, so what? British. Well, when you said Arthur, I immediately thought you meant Arthur Dent. No, 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 no. Uh, no, he, that, no he, it's, uh, Steve, yeah, you're right. Steve, Steve, Steve Coogan, I think is okay, his name. Steve Coogan. I know who that is. Uh, I was amazed by this. Uh, I had watched uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy recently, and I, and I always liked that actor. That actor was in some BBC series that I liked prior to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it uh, Martin took, Freeman. Martin Freeman, is that his name? It took me like a long time to connect that he was in the Fargo TV series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Definitely. And he played an excellent role there. And then he was in the Marvel movies. Like I recognize in the Marvel movies, I was like, oh, it's the guy from Fargo. And then yeah. I watched Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy again recently. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> is that the <laughs> this guy? This guy's in everything. <laughs> like, well, because like his hair went from like brown to silver in the time that it took me to see one program to another program, which could have been 10 years. But but from from my perspective, like he had brown hair and then he had silver hair. Mm. And uh, he lost some weight, so he kind of looks like um, William H. Macy when William H. Macy was super skinny. Didn't he play the William H. Macy role in Fargo? William H. Macy was in the Fargo movie. This right. guy was in but, the Fargo TV Martin series. Martin Freeman was in the William H. Macy role. Well, but it's not connected. It's just like a Fargo-esque story. But he was in the... It's essentially a reboot of the movie. Yeah. The, the first season. Is. Yeah, I guess more or less. More or less. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. This has been... Uh, Really bad movie references and <laughs> recollections with Jeremy and Adam. John John C. Riley. John C. Riley. Yeah, it was on the tip of my tongue. I was like, Patrick, Martin? No, none of those are right. Okay. Anyways, uh, Roma goes on to say that, uh, know that the Siege Perilous is yours uh, for you as well, as Avalon was for King Arthur. So the siege may be for you, a release from the trials and uh, travails of this world, a gateway to a paradise well earned, if such is your desire. Which to me means... The X-Men are like... Eh, whatever. Yeah, they're not like, tell me more. They're just like, whatever. But to me, that seems like when they're done with whatever it is they're going to do, they could go to the Siege Perilous uh, and live the rest of their lives as their fantasy, which I, okay, all right. It's all connecting. Well, she's saying you can use it now, and then the X-Men say, well, we still want to help out uh, with Professor X's dream. And then they say, maybe we'll use it some other day. Probably not, but maybe. And then Roma says, well, I was going to leave it with you anyway, so. Yep. Nobody's had this for a thousand years, so the honor's on you. So the X-Men have essentially been bestowed godlike powers here and the ability yeah, are, to judge. They are the judges. 
And finally, the last gift that Roma leaves them, because uh, all gifts come in three, is that they cannot be detected by any agency other than yourselves, living or mechanical, magical or scientific, neither beings nor power nor enchantment. Like, like really being like, no, seriously. Like, when some nerd tries to write down the things that could detect you, it's covered yeah. right here. Nothing can detect you. That's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> you may be seen by the naked eye and by the devices, devices of this place, your new home, but that is all. Right. So, no letters to the Marvel letters being like, um, wouldn't Nimrod be able to detect them from half a continent away? Point of order. Master Mold's still alive. Uh, I want a no prize for this. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so finally, I'll leave the siege perilous in your charge. Only the most brave and worthy have been granted such awesome responsibility. Bye, you guys are legends. Take it easy. And so they end this issue in a pose, much like they did X-Men number 227. Mm -hmm. uh, next was the night. So whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess we're establishing where we are. We've we've set up some new rules for the X-Men. Yeah, it's it's the setup issue. And, it, and it's, you know, it's it's... There's not a lot of story here. It's mostly just this is how it's going to be from now on. I am cleaning the slate. This is this is this is the new X-Men deal. I kind of wish um maybe we could have been told about the Siege Perilous as it plays a role in this comic. Um and and I wish that we weren't told like and you can use it too whenever you want. Uh and then also I wish we weren't told about like no device can detect you. Those could have been things that we could have learned over the next 15, 20 issues. I agree. Um, and it would have been a lot more compelling for them. I mean, on the other hand, you could look at it and be like, oh, plot device. They needed a way out of this. So they jumped into the siege perilous. So on the one hand, like we've set up, like these are the rules that exist. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, we just read the rules from our game. <laughs> and now we know exactly <laughs> what we can and can't do. So I don't know. There's a. Well, the next issue will really be telling. But I feel like Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri sat down and said, where do we, like we we just clean the slate? What do we want as an X Men comic? Where do we go from here? Let's do something totally different. What do you think? And then they came up with this thing, and this is the issue that says, okay, how do we get from where we left off to there? And then they they threw it all together, and the next issue, it's gonna it's gonna just that'll be the the new order moving forward. That's how I feel. I don't. I will see how it goes. Yeah, I. I mean, I. I agree with you, and I think that that's fine. I just wish they could have like had these ideas from the get go, so that they could create the rules of the the story that they want to create. But but they could have they could have handed them out over time. Like I agree. I yeah. agree with you totally. But whatever. It is what it is, and uh, can't go back now, can we? Can never change anything uh, that's been written in the comic book. Did you hear record? No. Uh, yes. Then we can re we can re record. <laughs> we'll start this podcast over and just make up our own X Men number two twenty nine, uh, or not. Anyways, I guess we could we could fit in. Isn't there? Didn't X Men the other series from the nineties get up to two twenty nine? We could just insert random issues of that. And we're doing X-Men number 230. <laughs> well, I don't know how Wolverine's gotten here, but this is exciting. He's got a yellow costume, and there's <laughs> a character named Bishop here. Actually, I have no idea who's in X-Men number 230. It's probably not Bishop. It's there, it might not have even gotten that far. I'm honestly not sure. How? I I think it got pretty far. I, I, don't, I don't honestly know either. Um, no, no email, no mails, no communication this, this, uh, week around, but that's cool. That's fine. Take a little break. But, uh, if you'd like to comment in, let us know about like the Tashi Yar tank guy movie, like I'm pretty sure exists, you know, please, please drop us a note. Uh, we can be reached at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Follow us on Twitter at danger room go. 
Uh, you can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, search for Danger Room. We're the first podcast that shows up. Subscribe, leave us a rating, maybe some feedback. It's all fantastic. Uh, or you can call us, uh, 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636. And finally, you can get a hold of us, or or actually you can show your your patronage, your support monetarily at www.patreon.com forward slash Danger Room, the current subscriber level or whatever you want to call it. It's just a buck, right? Buck a month. Yep, buck a month. Buck a month guarantees that excellent quality programming such as this can be delivered to your earbuds at least or, twice a month. Or if you're not using earbuds, then whatever ear devices you're using. Wait, what are earbuds? That that I'm thinking of earbuds. I don't even know what I'm thinking of. <laughs> you know what was uh what's I just bought I don't know why I thought about this, but I just bought um concert tickets for Mumford and Sons because they're going to be in, yeah. in Madison because uh, they're doing another tour. And which, by the way, like those guys have got like an excellent marketing strategy. They sell all of the tickets to their upcoming concerts before the album comes out. So you have no idea whether or not you actually want to see it based on the album. Other bands usually wait until their album comes out and then sell tickets to their concerts. Why is that a good marketing strategy? It's brilliant because uh, then they don't have to sell tickets on the merits of their current album they sell tickets based on the merits of their old album. Doesn't that just mean that they're super successful? I don't know. But the second thing, which is, I don't know if this is genius or if it's just like 15 years too late. With every ticket, you get a physical CD. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's that's not a new thing. Is that a thing? Because if it's for, I've, I've gone to... A little bit. I, I've gone to a number of concerts, and this is the first concert where I've bought tickets where I've gotten a, a CD with my ticket. And at first, I was like, oh, cool. I bought four tickets, uh, and they're like, here's your voucher for four CDs. And I filled it out, and then I was like, wait a minute. I'm going to get four physical CDs. I don't even, like, looked around the house. I'm like, I don't think I have a CD player in here anywhere. <laughs> like, shouldn't this be a voucher for, like, I don't know, a lossless Amazon download or something? Maybe. I don't know. Like, as much as I like physical media, like, oh, what, am I going to open it? And, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, like, How much do you want to bet your physical CD will come with a download code? Oh, God. Are you, well, I mean, the we, we're, we are iTunes music subscribers because the whole family can have iTunes music for, like, nine ninety nine a month. And the iTunes music library is, like, pretty well stocked. Like, there's... I do, I do Spotify, which is essentially the same thing. Yeah, we'll have to compare notes. There's there's only one thing so far I haven't found on Apple Music that I wonder if Spotify has. But interesting. Uh, but there's very little. Like I've I've put in some like really obscure things, and it's just like oh, yeah, here it is. So anyhow, I think your your list of obscure things is probably a little more obscure than mine, but maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I throw in some like old industrial and old techno totally pops it up yeah i find that stuff pretty obscure so send me a list i'll tell you if spotify has it what i want to know is if they have the fat boy slim remix of magic carpet ride which was on it was on the go soundtrack it was on the go soundtrack it was also on uh greatest remixes and that's was not... it actually fat boy slim or was it somebody else i feel like it might have been I, I, well it might have been norman cook but norman cook and fat boy slim are the same right 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 but i'm I'm, well, I guess I you've maybe you've blown my mind. Maybe it wasn't Fat Boy Slim. I thought well, it was. Okay, 
the one that, that that is the remix that's in the Go soundtrack, I don't think that's Fatboy Slim, but that might not be what you're talking about. Okay, I can't. But that is the only uh, one that I know of. Are there multiple like remixes of Magic Carpet Ride? That I don't know. Go go see the movie Go and tell me if it's the same. I have seen the movie Go, just not for a long time. You bring up the uh, soundtrack to the movie Go on the iTunes uh, library and tell me who wrote the Magic Carpet Ride song. I will. That'll pa- solve it. I will stop the podcast right now and do that. Like I'm not going to stop recording. Like you're going to listen to me do all of that just to find out if it's there. That's all right. I can talk. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Uh, speaking of music, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Um, we did some additional reading. Yeah, I did some additional reading. I don't know about you. And we and we have we have a new format where we're just going to kind of talk about it, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. X Factor number twenty eight. <laughs> ship's coming alive y'all yeah this was the issue where uh did it resolve where ship is like ship their is best sen- friend now ship is sentient so ship throughout the entire issue well ship isn't ship until midway throughout the issue uh cyclops is gonna head to dallas to try to find his son but he realizes that he can't because on tv we see some news footage of the ship it's kind of growing and attacking boats and it's just Iceman and uh, Marvel Girl fighting off the ship, and Cyclops like, "Ah, if I go to Dallas or if I stay here, I'm always letting somebody down. Woe is me!" So he heads back to fight the ship with Marvel Girl and Iceman. And there's a kind of a theme where they're a team and they shouldn't let each other do stuff uh, by themselves uh, because they're not just a team, but they're also a family. Right. Uh, the kids, they, they get sucked down like a slide thing, um, and they are the ones to actually discover Ship's brain. Ship's brain – so the ship is sentient. It's got a brain, but it's like all locked down. Uh, Artie figures this all out, and he's trying to give instructions on like, you got you to gotta undo the lock. And Rusty is able to use his firepower to chisel through the locking mechanism, I guess. And, and then Ship's like, I'm, I'm alive! Ten. And I really like you guys. Nine. <laughs> Apocalypse gonna blow you up. Eight. And so <laughs> it's it's up to X Factor to figure out where the bomb is and I don't know. It's not a great issue in my opinion, but but we do get to ship. So they find the bomb, Beast uses his strength, which he's not supposed to do because he's getting dumb, right? And he hurdles the bomb up into the air, blows up, and uh Apocalypse is wherever Apocalypse is, hanging out with Caliban. Caliban's like, look, they beat you. They have your ship. And Apocalypse is like, this is all going to my plan. (laughs) Which still more sounds like poor writing, but. No, no, this is, he is, he is a very egotistical man. Um, You might say he's a narcissist. Um, He says that his plan is uh, terrific. It's the best plan ever. Yes. Uh, the plan is that the X Factor is going to get super comfortable with ship, and that it'll be more devastating than any bomb could ever have been. Honestly, yeah, I, sad. <laughs> sad. I honestly have no idea how the ship storyline resolves because I stop reading X Factor in a little while because it gets super boring. <laughs> uh, and honestly, the last couple of issues of X Factor, like. Like I've said in the past, like issues number one through essentially Fall of the Mutants are like my X Factor jam. Like so much drama and soap opera-y connected stuff and love triangle and, you know, Angel and Cyclops' relationship and all that stuff. It's all well done. And then you get to here and it's just like, meh. 
feel like that's why you like Invincible. I'm just connecting the dots now. Well, that could very well be. Hmm. Although Invincible became kind of a mess towards the end. Oh well, that's what happens, but, or uh, that's what can happen, I suppose. Anyhow, there's also a, a, a one page where Angel uh, visits Candy Southern and finds that she might possibly be uh, kidnapped. Right. Which I feel like is worth mentioning because, you know, Candy Southern. It'll probably come up again. Probably. Probably. Um, that's, I don't know, that's about it with that X-Factor issue. Nothing nothing too terribly did you exciting. Read, uh, did you read New Mutants number 64? I skimmed and I read most of the stuff with Magneto. And actually I found like the back half of the issue pretty interesting. Actually the entire issue, like my opinion, bet. Brett Blevins is killing the pencils. I have got to say, this was the best issue of New Mutants in a long time and possibly ever. It's really good. It's dark. Like, there's no villains. It's really like, it's like the New Mutants just dealing with Doug's death. And uh, Warlock doesn't really understand the concept of death. And he is doing these things that are just really disturbing uh but in such a way that it's it's just a compelling story he goes he goes to the funeral home after they hold uh doug's funeral essentially and having watched a few zombie movies he props up doug and starts carting him around like a zombie to go visit his mom who breaks down and freaks out poor 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 woman well and there's this excellent panel of like warlocks in the in the window with dead doug ramsey he has a big Cheshire cat smile, and the mom's just like, oh, my God. And she's like, at the window, an evil smile, and Doug. And, yeah, it's, yeah. it's super yeah, – it's really crazy. Uh, th- this would, like, make an interesting, like, show or something. They, like, if they ever did a New Mutants series, like – this they they should this should be like the season finale like doug should die like whoever they have for the doug character should die second to last issue or episode and then they do this with warlock just being like i know how to solve the problem i'll fly around zombified doug and just not understanding why people are freaking out he brings the body over to rain because rain's been super upset about this and uh you know she hugs him and then she's like oh my god you're dead oh my god warlock what have you done and she thinks for a second that he's alive and then he kind of slumps over and the the expressions uh, and the faces that brett has drawn on rain is just just like the most like uh just like oh my god like just devastated painstaking uh, expressions you've ever seen of this woman who's now seeing essentially her zombified friend being kind of carted around by her her uh, naive robot friend. I mean, if you think about if you think about the reality of this situation, an alien being just brought a dead body into the New Mutants room, <laughs> right? And now they have to carry it around, right? That's horrible. It's kind of like Weekend at Bernie's, but a lot darker. <laughs> <laughs> And they're all trying to explain to Warlock, like, no, you don't understand, like, like he's dead, like, we gotta move past it, like, we gotta put him back, like, this isn't right. And so ultimately they sneak him back uh, to the to the coffin and stuff, and all's well that ends well. Um, and then Ileana has a little subplot of being like, I'm gonna kill Forge, because he killed my brother. Well, essentially, she's been watching, She she's going through her own grieving thing, and she's watching... The, the tapes that she recorded off of the TV of all the last moments of the X-Men in New York or uh, in uh, Dallas. 
And she, by the end of the episode or the end of the issue, she has pieced together that uh, Forge essentially uh, used the X-Men, probably with her permission. I, th- I think she realizes that the X-Men agreed to this, uh, to sacrifice themselves in order to balance the scales for him using his friends in Vietnam. She has pieced all of this together and she seems, seems to me like she has a fairly good grasp on what actually happens and she still wants to kill him. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of into it. Like I'm curious to see if like they're going to keep this sort of reality where she kind of understands what she actually did and she just doesn't care. Right. There's also a little bit of uh, Magneto who goes through this story of what he had to tell Doug's parents as to why he's dead, which was drawn out into like way more pages than it should have been, but it was still pretty interesting. And it almost kind of made Mag like the way I read it in my head was Magneto was very monotone as he's like, Mm -hmm. we went camping and Doug wandered out into the woods and he was shot. It's hunting season, you know. His parents believed it, I think. Oh, there'll be an investigation. But with the help of the Hellfire Club, everyone will be convinced. It was kind of, I guess it's the way it was inked, the way it was colored, and the way it was drawn just seemed kind of dark. Yeah, no, it's it's very sad. uh, It was a great issue. It's definitely one of the most unique, like, issues dealing with grieving that I probably have ever read. I agree, because most of the time it's like, oh my god, he's dead, we're all so sad. Next issue, we're fighting Freedom Force. This yeah. is like, <laughs> no, like, we're super slick. We're teenagers, our friend died, we've never experienced death, certainly not this close to us, and, and we're mutants, and we're trying to hide from the world, and yeah, it's good stuff. And we're living with an alien who just doesn't get it. <laughs> uh, then there's Marvel Comics presents Wolverine number two with uh, a good cover. Remember how I said it? Not a fan of the first cover. Yeah, yeah. This is a great cover. So you like you like this one? Way better. Yeah, yeah. This is a good cover. I think this uh, this feels like a like a Frank Miller cover or a Frank Miller homage. It's probably not. It's not but... Frank Miller. It just doesn't seem to have the right lines for Frank Miller. Probably inspired. I don't know who did this cover. Do you think it let's was see the if artist? I can figure it out. Um, well, I no, because I don't think he did for the. The previous one, um, Alex Savuk, Claus hmm. Jansen, and John Busima. So, so I don't know who did what. Um, probably John Busima drew it. Claus Jansen, I think, is an inker. So maybe Alex Savuk colored it. So the comic, uh, the story was penciled by John Busima, inked by Klaus Jansen. Who was the other guy you said was in there? Alex Savuk. Savuk, Savuk. I bet I you Alex Savuk and John Buscema must have worked on the pencils together and Klaus Jansen inked it. Well, he could also be the colorist. I guess that could be. Hmm. I guess so. Uh, also, um, if you're reading all of Marvel Comics Presents, there's a the Man-Thing story looks really well drawn. I'm probably just going to read that just because I've never read anything by Man- or Man. I've never read any Man-Thing stories. Um, it's very – it's hard to explain, I guess. It's, it's very kind of artsy, I suppose, and I'm not really sure yet where it's going. It's not uh, – I would say that it is even difficult to – fully comprehend what's going on so far but it's only two issues in so oh i just i like the art and the colors so yeah the art the art is fantastic the the colors are um i don't know it's it's interesting it's cool but anyways this is uh this is john bolton art remember him no doing man thing i believe so yeah no 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 it says it right back here it's uh not john bolton because that that would grab me right away it's 
Come on, come on. It's uh, Tom Sutton. Tom Sutton, inked by okay, so Tom Sutton. I thought. Um, Colored okay. by. Right, never mind. Petra Scotzi, Scotesi. So, Speaking of uh, Dave, or no, John Bolton, um, I happened to read where classic X Men would be this month because um, I was randomly flipping through things. Yeah. And so I happened to see, oh, this was this month's classic X Men. I wonder, I wonder where they are. It was the story where Colossus is um, in the Savage Land and he meets Nereal, the Amazonian, and they fight a dinosaur together. And then one of their friends dies and to show to, to uh, celebrate that they make sweet, sweet love to Colossus. Oh, I don't remember, Do you remember that. remember that one? I don't. <laughs> How could you forget that one? I thought you were going to say that they, to celebrate her life, they ate her. <laughs> that would have been much more interesting. No, I, I mean, I vaguely remember that, but, but vaguely, just vaguely. Um, yes, this is Save the Tiger starring Wolverine. This part is called The Bad Guy. Last one was the good guy. So this is the bad guy. And we basically learn that uh, the people who attacked Wolverine and the other guy in the Princess Bar last issue were headed by some sort of evil guy. This is this feels very uh, Bruce Lee. If you watched any Bruce Lee's movie, there's there's always kind of a white suited guy who leads all the martial artists to go do stuff. I'm going to be honest, like. I read this and I didn't care about anything until the very last panel. It was, I mean, <laughs> um, it just didn't hold me, especially the, uh, the spiky hand man, whatever his name is. Yeah. They introduced a character named razor fist who basically he there's has, a big fight scene where he shows how he's amazing. He has swords for hands. My question is, does he have hands at all or are the swords his hands? Because that would make eating and other things really difficult. It does make things very difficult. Like, how did he get that leotard on? <laughs> He's just, he was, when they put the claws where his hands were supposed to be or the knives, the swords, they also put him in the leotard and said, you may never take any of this off again. <laughs> Which but makes it's. it's, it's it's a it's a very uh, loose fitting fabric that has a lot of uh, that's why we didn't cover your armpits and um, <laughs> right. it's like it's like an air knit fabric that allows you to breathe. I don't know how he uses the bathroom, but I'm sure that was designed into the costume as well. <laughs> well, they they removed that as well, and it's just a spike, <laughs> oh. so he doesn't have to pee. <laughs> oh, perfect and. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, he he does hack up a whole bunch of people, uh, and they're like, "All right, you're you're hired. Now you have to get the tiger. You have to go get the tiger." Uh, the 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 head guy is Mister Roach or Roche. I don't know how to pronounce it. Roche. I'm just gonna say Roach. And uh, we cut back to uh, Wolverine, who's trying to finish his drink as he talks to uh, – they changed Dave Chappelle to Davis Chappelle in this issue. I saw that. Uh, and that was weird. Not probably because of Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Whoever's writing this was like, was it Dave or Davis? I don't remember. Let's go Davis. Next issue is going to be David. <laughs> Davidson. Anyways. So uh, Wolverine and Dave Chappelle – were friends in one of those unknown backstories from Wolverine's past. And Dave Chappelle gave Wolverine a locket saying to give the locket to Tiger, I guess. Um, oh, no. The, the lady, the princess, is, is – uh, the, the princess bar is named after. Mm -hmm. So Princess Mononoke. I don't know. Sure. Um, they They decide not to shoot Wolverine because he looks like a scrappy fellow. And then Wolverine spots somebody outside of the bar 
and chases her down several alleyways. Wolverine gets uh, propositioned by a prostitute. Yeah, which, uh, you know. Whatever. It's the oldest offer in the book. What? (laughs) From the kind of woman who makes it almost irresistibly tempting. It's the oldest profession in the Bible. Okay. Isn't that what they say? Prostitution? I Sure. So the oldest offer would have to be like sex for money? I've never heard that. For, but really, I, I, I'm I'm betting you're right that that's probably this the oldest offer in the book is probably taken from that very same phrase, but I've never heard that phrase. Oh, okay. Anyways, yeah, Wolverine goes chasing after this woman uh, whose scent is vaguely familiar and uh, chases her down to the roof, knocks her hat off. She punches him. He's about to take her out. And he says, I know you. You're Jess Ann Hoan. From the issue of X-Men that we just read. Isn't that weird? Isn't that oddly timed? It is. <laughs> I couldn't have planned it better if I if I meant to, which I absolutely didn't. So I guess... In fact, I, I read this before um, Uncanny X-Men, and I was like, are we supposed to know who Jess Ann Hoan is? Right, right. Out of context, this would make no sense. Well, I was—I figured it would be somebody that we would learn about soon enough, but like, I didn't expect it to be this very same issue. So there's a period of time I think when Wolverine is not around the team, and I—I'm just gonna—I I guess this story that we're reading right now is occurring during that time because it has to be a fair amount of time after the adventure that we just saw. Yeah. So there you go. Woo! Glad we got that all settled. Yeah, man. Further adventures of Jess Ann Hoan. Who I uh, who does not appear in the Uncanny X Men uh, again? Oh, that's maybe someday, but not 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 soon. Oh, okay. Her her second appearance, according to the uh, internet, is in fact Marvel Comics presents number two. Is that also her last appearance? And we say you're Jess Ann Hoan, and the next issue is like uh, who? I don't know. Well, the series is called Save the Tiger, so I'm assuming that at some point. There's going to be a tiger saved. And as we know, Jessen Hohen's nickname from the Reavers is Tiger. Are you sure they're not talking about a Siberian tiger? Um, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be an odd story choice, but maybe, maybe you know, she's a red herring. It's possible. Anything is possible. I have not read this series. I will tell you that in the Wolverine series that is coming soon, there is a character named Tiger Tiger. Spelled T-I-G-E-R-T-Y-G-E-R. I don't know if that's Jessen Hohen. It might be. It might not be. It's definitely not a saber-toothed tiger or a Siberian <laughs> tiger or whatever tiger you said. I'm going to be a little disappointed if uh, Tiger Tiger is not Jessen Hohen. I, I don't know. It could be that there is a there is a Siberian tiger that is introduced in this very same series that transmorphs into Tiger Tiger. You're also making the assumption that everything that happens here connects directly to the Wolverine standalone comic. Well, I, I'm, I'm not. I sort of am, but I'm also not. Mm-hmm. I mean, already it kind of does because it's taking place in Madripoor at the Princess Bar. But beyond those elements, I don't know necessarily that it'll connect. But it probably will. Well, all right. I feel like this is the lead in to that series. John Basima right draws that series, so it's like it's like they're prepping it. I believe that you're probably on to something. But still no patch. Well, 
They've got time to introduce that. Or maybe that's a new construct for the standalone series because they're like, wait, we got to write a story that's more than eight pages long? And what are we going to do so that nobody recognizes Wolverine? Let's put a patch on his eye. (laughs) Are you Wolverine? Oh, no, no. He he had two eyes. You only have one. No, call me Patch. Patch. Okay, well, I think we've prattled on long enough. Yeah, man. So. Hey, if you if you the fans can tell us what that movie is with the the robot and Tasha Yar was it a robot? Oh yeah, it was a tank, right? It's a tank, tank man. robot. Like if you top. can tell us what that is, maybe we'll do one of those audio commentaries. Oh my god! Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're putting me on the spot for this, but I'm actually a little intrigued by this idea. <laughs> Honestly, it's the only thing I remember about the movie. We might sit down to watch it and be like, "There's nothing to say about this movie." That's fine. We'll we'll do it. We'll do it totally cold. Look, and see how it goes. <laughs> just won't even pre-watch. You'd be like, "Look what exactly. he look what he just said. That was funny." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's Tasha Yar. She was in Star. Oh, she's naked. Hello. <laughs> All right. Uh, Yeah, totally. If you tell us the name of that movie and that movie actually exists, uh, I would be on board with some form of cold audio commentary. Doesn't get better than this. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. We're just handing out. No Patreon required. Handing out. All right. Well, good. That's uh, something to chew on. Uh, But until, (laughs) until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed.